Welcome to Brad Golf Podcast, podcast for the average golfer. My name is Dermot Bradfield and golf is in my blood. Join me as I fumble my way around this fascinating sport. Welcome back to Brad Golf. It is the 15th of July, 2020, and as usual, I have our lovely guest, Nigel Cosgrave from Nigel's Picks. Um, welcome back, Nigel. Good to be back, Dermot. How are things? Good, thank you. TrickyDogLeg.com, still going well? It's still in, in early stages, yeah, but uh, hopefully yeah. going to ramp it up now in the, the next few weeks. Great, great. You had an interesting week again. Now, it, this week, maybe you're human. Maybe you're shown to be human, but nonetheless, you had two, two guys in the hunt there going into uh, the fourth round, being Ricky and Hideki. They were both potential each ways, um, but obviously fell away in the final round. Uh, how did you feel it went for your picks? Well, on um, Friday night, again, it was like the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, I had Hideki in a nice position he was a couple of shots or more than a couple of shots back but he was a non, on nine under playing well I think he shot 67 in the first round striking the ball well looked to be getting back to his top form Ricky was there as well Saturday night I think he's Saturday he's 66 so he's nine yeah. under going into Sunday so both were in great position uh, going into the weekend and going into Sunday and they did nothing Especially on Sunday, did absolutely nothing. Ricky had the orange on, but I don't know what it is about that color. It's an absolute kiss of death. He's choked so many times on Sundays. You know, he's put me off backing him essentially. Yeah. And Hideki's yeah, yeah. putting is shocking. His his ball striking is still good, you know, but his putting is just so it's so poor. Really, he's not even going near the hole with some of that with some great opportunities. So. Again, Hideki, I won't, I won't completely write him off, but, you know, he's, he's definitely on the naughty step at the moment. Yeah. And the, the playoff, so Marikawa and JT, well, obviously JT fell away at the end, but the, the playoff was incredible, particularly the first playoff hole, 50-footer from JT, followed by the 24-foot clutch putt from Marikawa, just to keep it alive. It was, it was a good playoff. Yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant to watch. Really was brilliant to watch. Um, it, even without fans, I imagine if you had fans there, it would have been an unreal atmosphere. The place would have just erupted when that fifty footer dropped. There's no doubt about it. And J- it follow it up. JT tried. JT tried to uh, create his own sound effects. Yeah. You know, with the the roar he gave. You know, and it was an amazing put. Jesus, about fifteen feet of break on it. Yeah. And it was yeah. the sort of thing that should could should have won the tournament. You know, but. Marakawa had different ideas. And his putter, yeah. his 24-footer, um, if you watch it, and I'm sure everyone did, but you think it's going left. Like, about four inches from the hole, you're thinking, oh, it's gone, it's outside the hole, it's gone, and it's going to go, gonna go left. And it comes back in. He was interviewed afterwards, and he said, that's exactly what they read. They read in the final, the final foot or so that it was going to come back in. Quite incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was real... I mean, it was a do-or-die put, so, you know, he had to make it, you know, and no, no one would criticise him if he missed it. Yeah. But, yeah, some some balls to, to slot that in and then take it to the, the next playoff hole. And I think JT in the, on the, the, the final playoff hole really put himself out of the tournament by, by the blocked tee shot. And he, got, he was unlocked. unlucky to be yeah. completely stymied behind a tree, but it was a bad tee shot. 
Yeah. And uh, I think Morikawa deserved it. Yeah, I think so. And just for the record, for our local members there, JT is not uh, John Timmons, because when we talk about 50-foot putts, John Timmons often comes into the equation there. Uh, That's true, yeah, from the uh, Jimmy Roon Jimmy years Rune ago. Days. Now, it wasn't quite 50-foot, but I think if you're talking to John Timmons, he'll tell you it was at least 50-foot. I think the roar at the back of the uh, 18th in um, Donabate was even bigger that day. It was bigger than JT Sheldon, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's true. From an Irish point of view, McDowell, tied 35th, Lowry tied 39th. Uh, you'd have to say fair play to McDowell. Maybe Lowry is just coming back, I suppose, um, and needs a bit more time. But not a bad showing from the two Irish lads. Yeah, it was decent enough. I'm not sure they're showing enough to really warrant making a big gamble on them in any future tournaments. I think. Yeah. Larry is is slowly but surely coming back to his best. I think McDell is he was playing well before the break, and he he seems to have kept going. At this stage in his career, he's kind of playing above himself. He's very short off the tee, but is an excellent putter. And you know there are a few smaller tournaments coming up uh, where the like I'm thinking at the 3M. If he's in that, he might have a chance. So I wouldn't write him off in the, in the next few weeks. Yeah, I think he'd take the T35. I, I think he'd say he's probably playing to the maximum of his potential at the minute, whereas Lowry has a, a bit of bit of road to come back on. Okay, so we put the Workday Charity Open behind us. We move on then to some other news. The big news this week, well, actually, there's two big news stories, and amazingly, they were both of a similar kind of weight in the media, even though one of them is really, really important, and the other one's kind of silly, but they were both up there. Uh, the Ryder Cup is, is the big one. So postponed, um, just to read out exactly what um, PGA of America and the Ryder Cup Europe said, is that both the Ryder Cup and President's Cups have been rescheduled and will now be played one year later than originally planned. So the 43rd Ryder Cup, which was scheduled for September of this year at Whistling Straits, Wisconsin, is now moved out by... Almost exactly one year. It's, it's going a day earlier. Uh, wins September the 21st in 2021. So it's just, they've given themselves a year. Um, likewise, the President's Cup, which was scheduled for around the same time in 2021. Quail Hollow, that's moved out by less than a year to September 19th, uh, 2022. So uh, kudos to the PGA Tour of America for agreeing to move out the President's Cup. Apparently, that was a big factor in them being able to, to move the Ryder Cup as they did to 2021. Uh, I was listening to Paul Drake Harrington on, on another small Irish pod uh, to do with golf the other day. And he was talking about the fact that this decision needed to be made very, very, you know, very, very quickly and very, very soon because there's a lot of people doing a lot of work right now or would have needed to do work right now full time and otherwise for this Ryder Cup, and they needed the time. The logistics just were not going to work for, for this year. He was quite happy to see it postponed for another year. So not much of a shock, but nonetheless, big news. No, it wasn't a shock at all. It was just, we were just waiting for the announcements to, to come in. I think it's obviously the right decision. The cases are just spiraling out of control in the States. Yeah. As you said, Carrington uh, mentioned that Decision had to be made because they've got logistics on the ground. They've got to build stands. They've got to build 
you know, media centers and et cetera, et cetera. And they've also got to cater to their sponsors, uh, TV people. And there were, it was coming to a crunch time and it was either it was on or not on. And it was clear that there was the pandemic was only going to get worse in the States. So it, the obvious decision had to be made. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the President's Cup push it out. That, that was a, um, you know, a good gesture on the part of the PGA Tour. Not sure if it, if, if it would have happened in, in reverse, <laughs> if the President's Cup had been um, delayed. But sure, that, that's the way it goes. Yeah. I think the Ryder Cup is... is the biggest TV events or definitely ratings event uh, for golf. It outshines the Masters, you know, and, and it is for the European Tour. It's, it's their big cash cow. Yeah. And they had to, they had to pull it because without fans, it would, it would be a shadow of the, the normal event. Uh, and the fans really make it. Podrick really, he didn't want to go down that road because he was asked, you know, what was the main factor? And he, he kind of emphasized the logistics, but I think it, it is fair to say when it comes to the Ryder Cup, there's not as much golf played at a Ryder Cup as there is at the Masters. Obviously, there's a lot more players, a lot more golf taking place. So it's not just about the golf. Actually, the golf is a small, a small part of it. It's, it's, the, it's the fans, it's the atmosphere. Um, and it's very hard to separate those two. And without fans, it, it would not be, it, w- it, wouldn't, it just wouldn't be the same. Whereas the Masters, without the fans, Okay, don't get me wrong, it's, it's going to have a huge impact, but there'll be a lot of golf for people to watch and a lot of golf taking place. Whereas at the Ryder Cup, yeah, there's much golf. So, look, it's, it's, uh, I think it's the right call. You agree it's the right call. It's no major shock. And also, quickly following in that news, then today, um, they've announced that for the remainder of the PGA Tour uh, for the season, there'll be no fans. So, that's right up to the end of the FedEx Cup series. Again, as you say, with the ep- epidemic in America pretty much out of control at the minute, it, again, was the logical choice and not much of a surprise, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, this week had been the original tournament earmarked for uh, fans returning, yeah. and they were supposed to have 20 to 25% capacity of their normal capacity anyway for, for fans. They were looking at maybe 8,000, 9,000 fans coming in, but that was never going to happen with the current situation. It'll be still a good tournament without the fans. And obviously that meant that if this was the test case that was supposed to mark the return of fans to golf events, well, it, it didn't work. And that meant that the rest of the season was going to be affected. So they made the right decision to make the, a, a no fans events until the end of the FedEx Cup. So that'll bring it into the September. It's, I imagine that September could be similar with the start of the new season and possibly the US Open may not have uh, fans. But decisions haven't been made on that, but it, w- it wouldn't look good at this stage. And also the, US, the Masters as well wouldn't, yeah. well, if I wouldn't had, be hopeful. So I'm going to put you on the spot now, right? And I'm going to ask you, as a betting man, which you are, uh, would you say there's no fans at the Masters? And, that, and just to clarify, that's in November for our fans here, or people listening in. So Masters is scheduled for early November. But if you were a betting man, if you were putting money on right now, Paddy Park, fans, no fans? Yeah, I would say it's odds done, no fans. No fans, yeah. At the moment, with the the background of... Oh, actually, I need know, to correct whatever, whatever what we've just is. said. I need to correct what we've just said because I think we could get ourselves taken off the airwaves. Why is that? 
patrons. Patrons, Nigel oh. fans, but not spectators, patrons. Oh, patrons, Anna. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. I was supposed to go to the Masters myself this year. I was supposed to go for the, for the Wednesday. For the Remember practice you saying you had par three tournaments? For yeah. the par three. Yeah, had you that's... bought your flights, Nigel, or had you all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I bought the flights. Yeah, still looking to get money back. Oh, goodness me. The good old Delta Airlines. And tell us, Actually, I'm not, really don't give get... them a plug. Don't give them a plug. <laughs> I know it's really hard to get uh, tickets for anything to do with the Masters. So how did you, was there a, a waiting list? Was there queues? Well, we did the lottery. Okay. We've done it every every year for the last five or six years. And finally struck gold, so to speak. <laughs> I, I reckon they must, they must monitor yeah. the entries in the lottery and the first time you get accepted you get accepted to, to the practice days and then you may work your way up to championship days but yeah. okay the pa- pandemic has thrown everything up in the air absolutely well i was very disappointed for you because that that's it's a once once in a lifetime event although for you you go to the, to the to the open every year pretty much right yeah which should be happening uh this week yes. i would have been going over to royal st george's tomorrow but uh, sure it's always next year I kept my tickets for next year. You've probably a medal that you you would have missed anyway, so it's not the end of the world. (laughs) So yeah, so that's the news on the Ryder Cup and uh, PGA events. The other news, and I suppose getting a lot more airtime than the Ryder Cup news, because the Ryder Cup news is almost like obvious and it wasn't news at all to people, but it's this Brooks versus Bryson part two, really, of their story on Twitter. So Brooks, Brooks put out a tweet during the week of... Uh, what's his name? Kenny Powers, a baseball player who had allegations of steroid abuse and he took on a cameraman. Widely regarded to be a double whammy because it, it's, it's suggestive that maybe Bryson, uh, there may be some drug taking or steroid abuse going on here. And also the fact that uh, Bryson also had a, a run in with a cameraman very recently. What do you think about that story? Um, and Brooks Brooks is a habit of doing this on Twitter he, he puts very little content out yeah. not like he's not like Rory where every day he's selling you something or pushing something or talking about something Brooks is you know very very erratic when he when he puts anything on Twitter it could be a week two weeks before he posts oh yeah I mean when Brooks makes an appearance on Twitter you know take notice because it's going to be devastating it was a it was a the major burn. He may have gone gone a bit over the top, and, and it's only a suggestion, you know. It's just, but it is a, a classic bit of trolling, and it's very funny, really. Right at the moment, there's no proof of anything, and we could, we've got to, you know, take it his gaining of forty pounds, you know, as a legitimate yeah. kind of exercise that he actually did everything the right way, but. A lot of people have thought that it's in other sports they they're actually astounded at how how he's done it. We don't want to say that he actually did cheat yeah. in any way. You can't but, once. It. <laughs> I was listening but to it, you know, it's not the first time he's he's trolled him, you oh, know, yeah. or or, or, or delivered okay. a, a you know a, play last a devastating year. retort, you know, yeah. yeah. And I the, a lot of people. The likes of the of the, uh, the shotgun start reckon that Bryson putting on this weight is not just about hitting oh, yeah. balls, you know, three, over three hundred and fifty yards. They they reckon that it's because 
of a uh, an altercation they had last year where yeah. what what was Saved it? To my face. Bry- say, Bryson went over uh, or said something to Bro- Brooks's caddy about saying something to his face about slow play. Yeah. So Bro- Brooks went over to to his face and said it to him, and they had a bit of a discussion. Now it was kind of ironed out at that stage, yeah. but last year when Bryson was, was starting this this building up of his body, etc. He started slagging Brooks on on social media about you know his abs weren't that that great you know he's not he's looking a bit flabby. So Brooks returns with a picture of his four major ter- trophies. So yeah. you know don't take on Brooks on Twitter. That's no the way. bottom yeah. of this story. Burn City, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have to admit, I was listening to McGinley and Harrington talking about Bryson recently, and McGinley says he's a nice guy and. Harrington said he's not a nice guy. But what Harrington said was very interesting. He said this power, club speed that he has at the moment, he had that before before the weight. So he was talking about the last year, uh, pre, pre-weight, and uh, the swing speed he was generating then when he went to 100% was, was very similar to what he's hitting at the moment. What Padraig was saying is that most professional golfers they don't hit the ball at 100%, uh, particularly off the tee. They're hitting to about 80% off the tee, whereas he, he's, he's just stepped it up to hitting 90 95% of what he can hit. But there's no doubt this, this weight he has, and it's not just weight, it's muscle, it's probably allowing him to hit it as accurately off 95% as he's hitting. But as Padraig said, he had that swing speed before. He's just utilizing it now. And, yeah. And, and that's... I thought that was a, a very, in typical Padraig Harrington fashion, a very clinical, analytical view of the, of where he was at. He, yeah, Padraig also said that um, he also said that uh, other players on tour have that sort of speed or are capable of that sort of speed. The likes of Gary Woodland, Tony Finau. Yeah. Tony Finau got up to over two hundred mile an hour ball speed only last week. He, yeah. he did a he did a demonstration on on the internet. So it's the the thing about what Bryson's doing is that he's committing to it a hundred percent in a tournament atmosphere, and he's keeping it on the fairway, and he's hitting a lot of str- long over three hundred and fifty yard plus drives, and they're all straight. Straight. That's the key. The straight. And that's I, the key. I mean, a, a lot. The, that must come from the the muscle mass that he's generated there in recent weeks that has allowed him to to control the power. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly that possibly that's that's the case. That seems to be working for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, more power to him. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so also then moving on from that debacle. Well, we'll watch we'll watch as it rumbles on, and I particularly would love to see them paired together in the Ryder Cup. But anyway, that's another story. Today, the GY announced their protocol for Phase Four, which is effective from the twentieth of July, subject to the Irish government moving into phase four of, um, of, of their operations, which is quite likely to happen, let's be honest. But from July 20th, we move into phase four. And for the average golfer, it must be said, there's nothing significant in this new protocol, no major changes. The time, the tee time intervals remain exactly the same as they were in phase three, which means your golf club, if it wants to maximize revenue, is going to be putting people out in fours. And I'm sure you've been experiencing this, Nigel, as, as, as I have. Weekend golf is slow business. 
at the moment because golf clubs are putting uh, groups out in four. In fact, we're down on Friday to play a very long, a very long course. We're playing strokes, so it's not, it, there's no picking up. And we're out in fours. It's going to be a slow, slow day. It's becoming quite a common issue now at golf clubs around the country for golfers. What, what, what do you think? I am a bit worried about Friday. We're supposed to be off at four o'clock. We, <laughs> we get in before dark. Well, we definitely won't be in before eight. I can guarantee you that. And if we're in by nine, I'll... She's going to settle for nine. Yeah, I'd buy a round if we're in before nine. Yeah, it's become painful. It has. Yeah. It has definitely become painful on the weekend. You're waiting on a lot of shots. It's also, there's a bit of a, a different dynamic with a four ball within, when, especially when you're playing strokes. It works better when it's a, you're an actual four ball or two man team. Yes. Yeah. It, that that has its own dynamic. Yeah. yeah. And you're going for things. I think in a two man team as well, you know, you're, you're going for things, but in strokes, you're not, you're rarely going for things. And people are a lot more careful, like they're marking the ball, like, you know, I'm three feet, I'm going to take my time on that. Whereas in a two-man team, very often that's a, one. Well, I'll, I'll tap that in there and you can go for it kind of thing. You're, you're absolutely right. In a four ball, it's, it's a whole different ball game. But in strokes, and even Stableford, I'm finding in Stableford, it's not that much quicker at all. Uh, with four, no. of course. Yeah. I think part of the problem is... You know, it's and it's where ready golf needs to come in. Is that people are waiting on each other? Uh, the kind of the typical et- etiquette of letting the person who's furthest from the hole play first. Yeah. Uh, people marking their ball for once they put it and waiting for their next putt. I think people need to be ready to play and yeah. ready to hit, and be cognizant of other people within their group. And if someone isn't ready, then they should go themselves because it's going to be a long day otherwise. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's definitely going to be five hours at least. Yeah. And uh, someone was on to me during the week saying, Look, could you do it in a way that you have four balls out in the morning, but in the afternoon when things are a bit quieter, can you move back to three so that you know people could go up in trees when it's a bit quieter in the afternoon? And I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. But sadly... GUI's restriction is that if you're playing four balls in the morning, you're playing four balls in the afternoon. So your timesheet is locked in the day. You can't change it at various different times in the day, which is, you know, that's, that's their decision. That's, that's their protocol. I don't necessarily agree with it. I think golf clubs should be allowed now within the interval restrictions that they provided should allow some flexibility during the day for golf clubs to change based on the traffic that's there at the golf club. But at the moment, if you're a golf club and you're thinking commercially, you've got to get four, you've got to get people out in fours at the weekend because that's where you can get the most traffic on your course. So you can sell the most green fees or or competition entry fees or whatever it might be. So golf clubs are going to play fours. It's it's you know, they've had a really tough couple of months. They're not going to they're not going to deny themselves any more income at this stage. So I think until the GUI start to relax those. Uh, tea time intervals, it, it's, it's going to remain the same. We're going to be playing four-ball golf at weekends for some time to come, unfortunately. Okay, that was the last other big news uh, locally then. Um, and that's the Gavin watch. So Gavin started well at the Austrian Open last weekend. Nigel, again, it was looking good that we could get in each way with Gavin. He was what, three under the first day, I think it was. Yeah, 69. Yeah, I remember saying to you, if you can follow that up with another... You know, three under again tomorrow, he'll be in a nice position going into the weekend. But unfortunately, he had a treble on day two and the wheels came off a little bit, didn't they? 
Yeah, and I, I feared the worst. I feared it was a, a repetition of what he, he's done many times last season and the season before where he's gotten along nicely. He's been a few under par and then a triple bogey or a double bogey or a run of bogeys just just comes in from nowhere and yeah. leaves himself high, high and dry and doesn't give himself enough chance to even make the cut. But fortunately last week, he had, I think he had eight holes left in order to try and make the cut. And I think he made two birdies in the last three holes to scrape in on the number. I think it was one yeah. under was the cut. I saw his tweet and he was surprised to get in. So um, yeah. he definitely got out of jail there. He didn't really make the most of his opportunity on the weekend. Did really nothing. He had a bad, bad round on, on Saturday. Although the conditions on Saturday seemed to be a lot more difficult. I don't think the scoring was that great overall. But uh, I think it's it's good that he he made a cut. Uh, yeah, a bit lucky. Hopefully, hopefully this week he'll be a little more in tune with his game. I think from from reports of the course, it's it's, it's a, quite a short course. It's uh, slightly at a elevation. Titan tree line, so that's very Donabate esque. That's the Euron Bank, Euron Bank yeah. Adam style, yeah. I'm not going to put him up as a tip this week, <laughs> but he's 60 to 1. So keep an eye on him. You know, the Gavin the, Watch is alive the, the and well. Cookies are, I've, uh, Gavin Watch is alive and well, but it's, uh, it's a nerve wracking experience keeping an eye on him. It is, but I think at least he's made that cut. And, you know, last year it's got to have been in his head. Missing cuts, missing cuts, missing cuts. I'm sure he would have felt good going into this weekend that, okay, at least I made that cut. And as you say, his finish yeah. that got him there, he's, that's going to give him something. You know, he's still a young guy. He's learning his way. And he's going to get there. You know, he's going to get there. That's for sure. Right. Well, let's like move it. on to the memorial. So we're back at Muirfield Village. Last year, we had Patrick Cantley, 19 under. Tiger's back. Tiger is back. He's paired with Brooks and Rory. So that's, that's a tree ball that you could just sit down with a, with a, with a box of popcorn and, <laughs> and relax in. Yes. in. I noticed uh, the PGA Tour didn't put Brooksy with uh, Bryson. <laughs> if they could get four balls out like we were doing in, in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if Rory and Tiger, Brooksy and, uh, and uh, Bryson, yeah, that would be some four ball. And Shane Lowry is in action. He's got Philly Mick and Justin Rose. That's a nice grouping for Shane. Yeah, it's a good group. Particularly the short game there between Shane Lowry and Philly Mick. I'd love to see the two of them uh, battling each other out and, and, and chipping and putting there. So that, that would be good to watch. And a bit of a blast from the past then. I don't know if you... I'm sure you can remember it, Nigel, but I don't know if you got to look at it recently. Um, Tiger's flop shot on the 16th in 2012. Yeah, it was incredible. Like, I showed the lie. I looked at the lie again today, and I think I had a lie like it at the weekend. And <laughs> I definitely wasn't thinking, oh, I'll flop this out. It was just a dream of a flop that he just barely got onto the green on the 16th, onto a downhill kind of lie, and it just rolled its way nicely into the hole. Uh, what a fantastic shot. What Jack Nichols said in the moment um, and in, in the time of that event, it was the greatest shot ever played. So, um, something something substantial, all right? Yeah. What he, uh, also, just to mention that he, he had the the lake was waiting behind the green oh, if yeah. he um, if it didn't come out right. So, uh, yeah, it was an incredible shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, there you go. So moving on then to Memorial, tell us, got some money to spend, Nigel. Where, what are we going to do this week? The field this week is a lot stronger. We've got Rory back. We've got Dustin. Obviously got the big cat, Tiger, is back. It's got a real major championship feel to it. Last week was a great event and we're playing on the same course this week, but I think the setup will be a lot more difficult. Yeah. Uh, last week's event was quite soft. Just Justin Thomas and Murakawa were 90 under, I think, yeah. and birdies were coming quite easily. Uh, I think it's going to play a little harder and faster this week. And so it, you, you're going to need a good short game if you, if you are missing greens. I haven't really... I've given thought to what happened last week and what's happened in previous memorials. And I've, I've gone for generally, and given that it, this should have been the week of the Open, I've got, given a bit of a flavor of, of that in some of the selections. But ultimately, I'm going to go with Rory for my headline selection. He, he's at 12 to 1 this week, and I'm going to go four points each way. I think there's, a, there's been a lot of, obviously, media hype over Bryson's both his um, new physique and the length that he's hitting the ball and the the fact that he's the most under par of any player since the, the pandemic and people are saying that he's he should be the number one player in the world yeah. and stuff like that really gets Rory motivated and, and the fact that he's playing with in a major championship style field with Tiger back and of course, he's actually done well. He's been fourth here. He's been fifth here before. I think it's overlooked that he has played his course quite well. So I think the fact that he's 12 to 1, which is a slightly bigger price than previous weeks, I think it's worth taking. I mean, Patrick Cantlay is the same price. Now, he he's, has got a great recent record, but I think Rory is clearly a better player oh, and a yeah. better driver of the golf ball. Driving exactly. may not be as, as important here, but I think. This could be a week for Rory. I think that's a great. I think that's a great call, and I think it, it just makes it all the more interesting now to see himself and Brooksy in those first two days, just just battling it out there. And if he can get the edge over Brooksy in those first two days, yeah, who knows? The weekend is there for him. Yeah, yeah, it, I, I agree. But being up with Tiger as well, that will take some of the attention away from him. Yeah, it should be should be really interesting. Yeah, potentially. I mean, like since we've been back, the the PGA Tour has been very exciting to watch, even without the fans. And there's been some great finishes, like last week. But this this tournament this week could be the best one yet since oh, yeah. we've come back. My second selection is one that I'm taking on value grounds. He's a guy who missed the cut last week, but has also been runner up and won. The memorial previously it's Justin Rose 50 to 1 and I'm going to go 1.25 points each way I just think given his record around here his consistency overall then last week I think I'm going to put that down as a bit of a blip he's he's played well in Colonial since we've come back his game it has been a bit erratic since he's he went to on uh, got that big deal and then came out of that big deal and has gone back to tailor-made clubs I think he is still finding his game a bit, but 50 to 1 for Justin Rose is just too good to turn down. So he's our sec- second selection. Interesting one. Yeah, a bit of a, 
I suppose some people would say that's a bit of a punch considering last week, but um, a week is a long time in golf as well. So yeah, yeah, okay, I like it. He's definitely value at fifty to one. Yeah, I don't think you'd ever get Justin Rose at fifty to one. So that's that's a good one. Okay, next up, uh, the next the next guy is another guy with great m- m- Memorial and uh, Muirfield Village pedigree, and it's also at a good price. It's Matt Kuchar, sixty six to one, one point each way. Three years ago at, at Birkdale in the Open, almost beat Jordan Spieth. I think he needs to channel that kind of um, major championship level of play. I think he's capable of it. He's, he's multiple top tens here. His game is only coming back bit by bit. I think he hasn't really gotten into it since the break, but he had a, a decent, he would think he was in the top uh, 40 last week and he showed signs of coming back. So I think his iron play and just general game management should work well around Muirfield this week. The next two are somewhat outsiders in terms of price, but one of them is a former Open champion, and that's Zach Johnson, 150 to 1, 0.5 points each way. Last week, he showed signs of coming back. He likes playing in Muirfield Village. He generally plays well this time of year, and again, 150 to 1 for a former major champion is just too good to turn down. And I'm going to get 0.5 points each way. And the final long shot is the best Chinese player in the world. It's Hao Tong Li at 250 to 1, 0.5 points each way. Hao Tong has only played once at Mirafield Village, uh, but performed well. He's a good ball striker. He's got a great short game. And again, I think he's overpriced. He's a guy I've won with before. So there's the selections for this week. Super. To recap, we're, we're going... Heavily weighted towards Rory this week, to be fair, but it's yeah. Rory 12 to 1, four points each way. Great value with Justin Rose, 50 to 1, 1.25 points each way. Matt Cooch, 66 to 1, one point each way. Zach Johnson, 150 to 1, 0.5 points each way. And Hai Tong Lee, 250 to 1, 0.5 points each way. Okay, that's a, that's, it, yeah. that's a good lineup for this week. And I'll put all those bets and uh, prices up on Tricky Dog Leg, so they should be available tomorrow. Excellent. TrickyDogLeg.com. All of these will be available for you tomorrow. And in fairness, if, if people can check out the website, what Nigel does is he puts in kind of more data and more descriptions in there for you to read, and it gives the background behind why he would be uh, selecting the players he has. So definitely worth, worth checking out. Um, as I do each week, yeah. Great. Well, thanks very much, Nigel. Much appreciated again. No problem. But how's the golf game? It's uh, it's pretty... It's been it's been all right, yeah. It's... Um, Steady, Eddie. I think I'm, I think I'm uh, getting a lot more consistency off the tee. There's a lot of work still to be done, but, you know, I've, I've played to the handicap. You have, you sure have. Fa- fa- fairly comfortably over the last couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, hopefully there's a big round coming. And what about Jimmy Broom? Did I hear that you are not going to be available? Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm oh, going shit. to Donegal. You're a big fan of the Jimmy Broom, obviously. Um, I'd say if, if you had to pick one tournament that you could play in for the club, it would be the Jimmy Broom, would it? Yes, indeed. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a bit of a shame that they had to go to four ball this year. I think yeah. it changes the nature of it 
It does, quite so. Uh, it'll still be, you know, a, a battle royale. But I think four ball, it's a good it's a good format for match play, but it allows one player on a team does. to dominate. He can and he doesn't have to rely on his partner as much. Not at all. In fact, if you go back over previous winners, what, what often happens when you get to the All Ireland semi-finals and finals is you have a team that has a lot of youngsters on the team who last year were playing off six and seven and this year down to one and two, right? So taking that, that basis into play for this year, it means in a four ball, you're going to have a one or a two handicapper who can shoot level par and you've got a, a seven and an eight handicapper trying to compete with that. It's, it's very, very difficult. So I, yeah, that, that one player can dominate the match. Whereas in foursomes, it doesn't matter if you put a, a one handicapper with with an eight handicapper, things can go wrong. I, I agree with you. The, the format is a problem for me, but it's, it's the only thing they could do, really, I think, in all, in all seriousness. What's your view? And I've a li- I had a discussion with someone the other night about this, and I, I just thought I'd bring it up with you while we're on Jimmy Brune. Is the Jimmy Brune somewhat tainted by the fact that because it's handicaps between five, I think, at the minimum, and a combined 15, that it, it's... it's predominantly dominated by clubs that have junior players that were five or six the previous year and are now down to one and scratch by the time they're playing in this competition. Does that take from it a little bit? And, and Even is, when it's um, format, foursomes? Yeah, in the, for, in the foursomes format, does it take from it that you could have a couple of youngsters out there who already have a multitude of competitions they can play in at under 18 level I think once you bring handicaps into play, like for a senior cup, I'm going to re- retreat a little bit here. But for senior cup, I don't care whether you're four years of age or 40 years of age, it's scratch golf and off you go. You play your game of golf. But once you bring handicaps in, I think it, 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 you have to level the playing field somewhat. And I, I think having juniors playing in a national competition that has a handicap range in it is... It doesn't work for me, particularly when you see the winners in recent, in recent years. It's dominated by of a team of you know, 10 players that might be in the earlier rounds, uh, dominated by five, six juniors who are playing substantially lower this year than they were last year. Does that not take from it for you? Or would you disagree with that view? Yeah, well, no, I know. I understand where you're coming from. I think a balance needs to be struck in the sense maybe there should be a minimum amount of juniors you can have in a team, maybe one or two. Or a maximum, you mean? Or maximum, should I say. Yeah. So that, that could work as well. But the Jimmy Brew and the Junior Cup were also used as a stepping stone for juniors who were going to be, you know, top amateurs or even even further top pros in the future. It's used as a stepping stone for them to gain experience. That's very true. So yeah. Yeah. you wouldn't want to deny them having that kind of competitive experience uh, that they'll need at that stage because golf has become very much a young man's game. Oh, um, it's very, very much dominated by guys in their 20s. So you need to get the, your competitive experience as soon as possible. So I'd look at uh, maybe capping the amount of juniors. Well, uh, maybe I, maybe yeah, have two I, of them. I'll support you on that initiative. I, I think so. Yeah. So if you, if you cap that at two, that gives yourself a chance to... To, to field them. 
either that or you put some kind of a handicap on the day restriction in place as well. Well, they, I think that's the main problem, though, yeah. the, the fact that you're going off a handicap from the previous year. Yeah, it's, it's very, very... That's, um, I mean, I know it's a system that's been there for a while and it's it's well ingrained and it's it's it, it's a system that they, they're able to work with. But players, as you said, youngsters will improve as they get bigger and stronger and can hit the ball further and closer yeah. And their handicapping can be completely different the, the following year. And they're they're the they're the, the type of people that you know if if a club gets three or four good youngsters, oh, off you go. they're gonna they're gonna use them in nearly every every team. So, yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for you know uh, juniors in the game, and it's really important to include them. And you're right, they need to earn their stripes. And Jimmy Brun is a great testing ground for some of these guys. Yeah, I agree with all of that, but. I also agree with your point there that how much they transform in one year. A handicap for a junior of last year, um, particularly good juniors, their handicap last year would be no resemblance to what they would be playing off um, this year. And that, that's a mm. problem for me in, in, in that format. Oh, yeah, you're, yeah. It's a huge advantage. You, you can be looking at at least getting a provincial pennant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, best of luck over the weekend. Thank you kindly for, for joining me again today. The fans of the pod talk very highly of you, so I'm glad to have you on board. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. So, just to confirm, this podcast is not sponsored in any way. All views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which I have been, am now, or will be affiliated. Please do subscribe to the podcast. Brad Golf TV, you'll find me on Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google, etc., etc. Please follow, like, retweet, and share on social media. It's Brad Golf TV on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. On Facebook, you'll find me at bradgolf.ie. And you can also drop me an email at bradgolftv at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you in the weeks and months ahead. You've been listening to Brad Golf Podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please do come back soon and join me for another round.